As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The pas de deux is a fundamental part of ballet. It's a duet, almost always between a man and a woman. It's something every professional ballet dancer confronts, usually in their adolescence. Like most things in ballet, partnering is harder than it looks. Dancing a pas de deux tests the lessons you've learned in the ballet classroom. When she was 18, Adriana Pierce got the opportunity to choreograph a pas de deux for the first time. It was 2008, and it was for a student choreography workshop at the school Balanchine founded, the School of American Ballet. And I was kind of going through my discovery of my own sexuality at the time. I just had my heart broken for the first time. And so I did this, like, very sensual, romantic pas de deux. And the guy really is very passionate about this woman that he's dancing with and very excited and wanting to kind of dive in with her. And she's like there, but not fully. And I think there's something holding her back. And she lets him take the lead emotionally. And then they go their separate ways and end apart. doesn't necessarily have to do with my life totally at the time, but I think I was discovering what love was and what sexuality was. And I knew that I wanted to elicit some sort of like deep emotional response from the audience. At the School of American Ballet, Adriana had learned the mechanics of partnering. What it felt like to put trust in the boys in her classes to hoist her over their heads in a suspended overhead lift. Now, in making her own pas de deux, she began to understand what that movement conveyed. So I was using these lifts where she is really not doing anything with a very specific intention. And the way I used it was to show that the woman has no agency or has less agency or is making less like dynamic choices about the relationship. For My Heart Podcasts and Rococo Punch, this is The Turning Room of Mirrors. I'm Erica Lance. Part 9. Pas de deux. Adriana remembers when she was a new student at the School of American Ballet, and she first learned how to shape her fingers in the Balanchine style, a more open, rounded hand with splayed fingers. 
and it feels like you're holding air. And when you move through space, it breathes with you and it feels like very expansive and empowered. And I remember just thinking to myself, oh yeah, this is good. Like this makes sense to me in my body. Adriana says her point shoes had always felt like a throne to her. She loved the feeling of lifting up onto the tips of her toes, of lengthening, of growing tall. But she had yet to confront the role her gender dictated in this art form. So I can think back to my first partnering classes at SAB was with Jock Soto, and he's a fabulous teacher. But what I can remember from those early days, first of all, I loved it. I had a great time, (laughs) but it's very gendered. First of all, very binary, boys and girls, boys and girls who have already diverged in their training and how they dance. The girls have learned to dance on point, to be graceful, flexible, impossibly elegant. The boys have learned big jumps and tricks, and teachers have warned some of the boys not to be too graceful, too feminine. In partnering class, Adriana says her teacher would turn to the boys and say, Okay, pick a girl. And the boys would pick their partners. Grab a girl. That's like the terminology. So I just would, okay, grab me. (laughs) And then we would learn a combination. And most of it is just the guys having to figure out how to do it and build the strength. Because we're talking like teenage boys who are not developed fully either. But it's like they get the opportunity to learn and to try and to fail and to grow and to build. And my job as a woman was to be grabbed and held and let them figure it out. And I, and you put your trust in that. I never thought differently. You lift me. It's my job to look pretty and have good technique and like have my leg high. And the guy just has to figure out how to keep you on your balance. At that time in my life, I was just, I really was just absorbing. She also absorbed how they ended each partnering class. Boys had to do push-ups. Girls drilled Asia Pays. These steps where you rapidly slide your feet in and out and roll up onto point. That stuck with her. The emphasis for the women was their technique and their lines and their aesthetic. And for the men, it was their strength and their core. And I definitely started thinking about that a lot. A few years later, she got the chance to choreograph her first pas de deux, part of a student choreographic workshop at SAB. It was about two people in a relationship. The guy is all in, but the woman is less sure. She lets him pursue her, then she seems to pull away. She slides along when he lifts her high above his head. I think I was discovering what love was and what sexuality was in my own life. And I I knew that I wanted to elicit some sort of like deep emotional response from the audience. In partnering class, Adriana had learned how to do these suspended overhead lifts, where the man lifts the woman up high into the air. She used lifts like that in her piece in a purposeful way, to show the woman is passive, uncommitted to the relationship, complacent enough to let the man lead. What audience members responded to was the sensuality of the piece, Women, especially older women, approached her after. Your piece, I loved your piece. I really responded to that. And I thought to myself, well, okay. Well, then I, wow, yeah, I think I want to be a professional choreographer. In choreographing, Adriana found a new kind of freedom, an answer to the lack of control she sometimes felt in the ballet classroom. In the classroom, she'd been conditioned to stay silent, to obey the teacher. She made sure to fit the mold of the ballerina, pretty, thin, feminine. But Adriana still needed to figure out how she fit. For one thing, the majority of professional choreographers are men. And then there was the fact that she still hid a big part of herself. I remember walking in the halls of SAB and thinking, like, am I the only one like me who's ever walked these halls? I had never heard of anyone, any queer women before. Never. At that time, no, never. She was out to her high school friends and a few ballet friends. 
But mostly in ballet, she says she felt like she stuck out, as if she were carrying around a backpack all the time, an awkward accessory that everyone could see, but the secret of who she really was was tucked inside. I didn't have fully have language for myself even about who I was, but I knew that people were already kind of like, is she? But like not really knowing. So when I got into the company at City Ballet, I was deathly afraid of making the other women uncomfortable. That was like my overwhelming experience. I was terrified. Constant anxiety. By the time she was an apprentice, she was in a tenuous position. She had not yet secured an official spot in the company. In ballet companies, there's a lot of couples. At the time, I remember thinking to myself, I should get a boyfriend in the company to secure my job. And I remember having conversations with my a friend of mine who was also an apprentice, gay man. And we were saying, like, that might help us because <laughs> it's so messed up that I thought that that would actually give me some job security. And not to say that that is actually the case, but there was some insurance there. If I could, like, really show that I was a straight woman, that somehow that would secure my spot. It was before one performance that it all came to a head. The women's dressing rooms in the theater are upstairs, but they had to take the elevator down to the stage level to get into their costumes. And so all the court of ballet women, all of them, the whole company, are all just like putting their costumes on this like one room. And the dressers and some of the women were talking about how hot Hugh Jackman is. And so somehow I was in the middle of this conversation that was happening all around me. And the dresser asked me, which was putting my costume on, she asked me, like, oh, what do you think about Hugh? And I was like, he's not for me. Like, I don't know. And she goes, oh, really? But then, like, what it, who is for you? Like, what kind of guys do you like? And the whole room stopped talking and, like, looked to see what I was going to say. She was like, no, no, really. Like, what's your, like, man flavor? And I was like, I, well, uh, I'm gay. And and she goes, no, you're not. And I was like, ah, uh, no, yeah, yeah, I am. And the, again, the whole room, like no one moving, no one breathing. And I'm just like, this is my worst case scenario. Like I'm in Balanchine's house, like with all these naked women. And I'm just like coming out in front of everybody against my will. And then one of my friends, Maya, she came to my aid and she goes, actually, I'm her flavor. And I was like, thank you, Maya. Okay. She like cut the tension. And then it was like, okay. No one knew how to talk about it. And no one knew how to approach me about it. And everyone knew, but no one knew. And it, ha, and I wasn't talking about it. And so it kind of like almost burst this bubble of like panic. So I'm kind of glad that happened. But wow, was it traumatic. So that's how I came out to the, all of the women in the Court of Ballet and New York City Ballet in 2009. Like so many dancers, she didn't get a job after her apprenticeship. So she went to another prestigious ballet company, another company centered on Balanchine's choreography, Miami City Ballet. She stayed there seven years. She also choreographed when she could. While there, she made a piece called Cafe Music, she took that first pas de deux she'd made at SAB and added two more movements. And this time, she approached it differently. I took special care to pass who's leading and who's following back and forth. And that's just what, it was just what was coming out of me naturally. But it wasn't natural for these professional ballet dancers to dance this way. My friend, Andre, who was the dancer, was having a hard time, like, letting his partner, you know, hold him or pull him. And I remember the dancers asking me, what is this about? And I, I said, it's about finding yourself. It's about finding who you are within your friendships, within your partnerships, when you're out at a club, when you're out at a bar. Who are you? And how do you relate to the people around you? As Adriana played with the push and pull of these new ways of partnering and who was taking the lead... She also rehearsed her original pas de deux with that overhead lift. She began to realize how little choreographers considered the meaning of this movement. For her, it meant a surrender of agency. But in practically all other examples she'd previously seen or danced, it felt like a showpiece, 
a feat of strength that hammered home an idea about the roles of men and women in dance. What I realized about suspended overhead lifts is that they are very gendered because traditionally what we're used to seeing is a man lifting a woman and you, whether it's conscious or not, understand that it can't be the other way around because it's just not what we're used to seeing and it's also not the way that women are trained or socialized. After that realization, Adriana choreographed many more ballet pieces, but she never used another overhead lift. She didn't put them in any of her dances. Not a single one. And when I do use a lift, we move through it. I kind of fold it into like the fabric of the movement. So there's never like a point where we're sitting there and being like, that man is lifting that woman. Wow. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Miami City Ballet, Adriana continued to choreograph pieces. As she watched the partnering works being created and performed around her, she was struck with a familiar feeling. We are just fully accepting the fact that we are always seeing partnerships where the women have less agency, over and over and over and over again. In 2014, Adriana received an invitation to choreograph a piece for New York City ballet dancers, her old workplace, where the director, Peter Martins, had not offered her a contract to join the company after her apprenticeship. Now the company was going to perform her work. It was the first time I'm back in those studios, first time I'm back in Lincoln Center, since I had, you know, not gotten my job, and Peter Martins didn't hire me. 
When she returned to New York, Peter Martins was still the director of the company, decades after he'd been chosen to be Balanchine's successor. And we went out to dinner, right? They took us out to dinner. And they made sure to tell me that I was going to be sitting next to Peter because he knew me. So that would make him feel comfortable and that I was responsible somehow for that. Adriana says throughout the dinner, Peter was chummy with her, periodically touching her leg or her arm. Again, she felt like she was playing a role that did not fit. But like, is that just Peter's behavior? I don't think so. Like, I think there's this like system. It's passed down. It has to be. I wasn't there. I didn't know Mr. B. I know the stories. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not. Adriana grew up hearing stories and anecdotes passed down through generations of women who had danced for Balanchine. At the time, they felt useful. Like, don't think, just do. It offered a way to get out of her head when she danced. But there was one quote that always felt off. Ballet is woman. Okay, but woman is what? (laughs) Woman is straight. Woman is thin. Woman has makeup on. Woman makes her male director feel confident. If we're using, like, partnering as kind of a metaphor, I think it's, like, what the woman's role is. Like, the men are in charge, the men make the choices, and we are we are going to hold ourselves and put our foot out and point it and be the person who's following, not the person who's leading. I think it's, like, the same on stage and off. That's the legacy. It's, like, I don't even know if it's distinctly Balanchines or just ballet's legacy, but it's, like, Those are the roles that we play. Ballet is women, but women don't have a say in anything that happens to them or their bodies. Like, that's what's passed down. The choices made about the choreography or staging in ballets can perpetuate that. There's a moment in Peter Martin's rendition of Romeo and Juliet. At one point, the audience hears a loud slap. The sound of Juliet's father hitting Juliet and knocking her down a detail that was never part of Shakespeare's play. The company also performed a work called Odessa. It was by a Russian choreographer, Alexei Radmansky. And in the piece, he staged a controversial gang rape scene. In 2017, the same choreographer, Radmansky, posted on Facebook about gender equality and ballet, and it got a lot of attention. He wrote, quote, Sorry, there is no such thing as equality in ballet. Women dance on point, men lift and support women. Women receive flowers, men escort women off stage. Not the other way around. I know there are a couple of exceptions. And I am very comfortable with that. End quote. Above this caption, he posted an image. Two dancers in a pas de deux. The picture was classic, almost stereotypical. But it had been photoshopped, clearly in order to appear absurd. Instead of the man lifting the woman, the tutu pointued ballerina lifts the man above her head in a suspended overhead lift. Adriana says when she saw it, the post made her physically ill. The idea that this extremely influential, world-famous choreographer would say there was no equality in ballet, and he was okay with that. Adriana thought, this cannot be the only way we understand gender in ballet. That was really hard. I can't accept that. I'm like not okay with that. And I'm absolutely not okay with moving forward with this art form, just not having that be a consideration, especially with new works being choreographed. Adriana lives in an upper Manhattan studio apartment. She wears a backwards baseball cap when she opens the door. Her big smile almost gleams. The room is small. Boxes still wait to be unpacked after a recent move. She rolls her neck, rubbing an injury that had her paralyzed in bed for a day. The shower stops running, and Adriana's girlfriend emerges from the bathroom, Ayla O'Day. Ayla's long brown hair is wavy and damp. She limps over, her broken foot still healing. Both of them are professional dancers. Adriana perches on her knees on the bed. Ayla hobbles over and hops on. She snuggles into what seems like an Ayla-shaped nook in Adriana's arms. Adriana kisses her forehead and beams as they share the experience of making art that they love. 
it is probably one of the most like freeing feelings to dance on stage. But obviously, just like ballet as an art form, there's a heavy influence of sexism, racism. This is Ayla O'Day, Adriana's girlfriend. Ayla's currently a soloist at Carolina Ballet. The two of them see a lot of overlap in their experiences. Just like the world we live in, there are a lot of systemic issues that put people into a lot of boxes. Yeah. Did you ever worry that, like, you would look too butch on stage? Oh, I mean... Constantly, right? All the time. Because I'm very, like, physically, I'm athletic. I'm not, like, your little wafy ballerina. And so then it's, like, that's perceived to be more masculine and athletic because athleticism is stereotyped with masculinity. And therefore, any movement I do is going to be perceived to be more masculine. So I always am thinking about like, if I'm in like something that seems like a role that's more feminine or like the the male view of femininity, I'm like, oh my God, do I look like like a lesbian out here? You know, well, like, is I, that an issue? <laughs> when I first came to Miami City Ballet, there was a, one of the principal dancers said, oh, is Adriana a lesbian because she looks like one? Yeah. And I, from like, yeah. The moment I started working there, I was, like, so terrified that I was, like, yeah, that the way that I danced somehow was, like, giving me away. And that people in the audience would be, like, that one, dyke. You know, like, I don't know. But, like, it was very scary. No, it is really scary. And, like, especially, too, I mean, more of my fear was when I was closeted still. And, like, people would point blank be, like, oh, are you a lesbian? And then I'd be, like, no, I'm not. And they're, like, are you sure? I didn't even think it was possible to be a queer female identifying ballet dancer. That was until three years ago, in 2020. Ayla's at Carolina Ballet. She's sitting in a choreography workshop. I'm, like, sitting on the floor. You know, I was fresh in the company, and in walks this blonde, tall beautiful woman in a blue stripe button down and I'm like what is that that is not a straight woman it was Adriana walking in to help run the workshop and I kept asking around being like is she gay is she gay like I was asking all of my friends and stuff and they're like I don't know like I don't know her you know whatever and so actually Adriana was the first um, female queer ballet dancer I ever met You were one of the first people I, like, really came out to because you walked in and I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. And so then I DM'd you because you made a huge impact on me, clearly. (laughs) Even though I, you know, knew it was okay to be gay, I just was like, not not in my field doesn't really exist. (laughs) Because, you know, there was no visibility for any queer women in ballet. It's not part of our world. It's not yeah, part of the conversations no. that like we're allowed to have through ballet. Right. So even if even though there have been queer women throughout history, we don't know who they are in the same way that I know like every single one of Balanchine's sexual partners. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like no, that's so true. It felt impossible because I had just simply never seen it. Periodically, Adriana gets a text from another queer dancer to check out an Instagram post, almost like a treasure hunt for the stories of queer ballet dancers who came before her. I think it was on Instagram. It was on Instagram? Yeah, I did. Um, Adriana scrolls yeah. through her Instagram feed looking for something. Uh, this is how this is. Like, I, I don't even know. I have to look it up. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So I actually don't know how to pronounce that. L-O-I-E. I see, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but Miss Fuller became an overnight sensation when she danced her patented serpentine dance at Fully Berger in Paris in 1892. Fuller even managed to be openly lesbian while evoking virtually no titillation or disapproval in her public. Interesting. Interesting. So 1914's photos from 1914. There was also another one. Um, oh, here it is. Catherine Deville, first... Oh, yeah. First black woman with the Bolshoi in 1900-ish. Her dad was Creole, pushed back on doing Coppelia in whiteface, and despite having two husbands, was queer. Wow. De, yeah, or De, Catherine de, de Villiers, I think it is. When I was younger, like early 20s, 
I could think of like maybe five or six, including myself, women around the world who were in professional ballet companies. Not just, not just, not just in the the US, like around the world. Yeah. People who were out, you know? Um, And we're talking ballet specifically, like Mm -hmm. tights, point shoes, leotards. Yeah. There are a lot of people who were in ballet and were professional, but then left because they were like, I'm, you know, I can't be myself in this space. It's also hard to find any bit of queerness inside any of the big story ballets, the classics ballet is known for. (laughs) The gayest role in the ballet canon is Myrta. Myrta is a ghost queen in the classical ballet Giselle. Giselle is ballet canon, choreographed by two men in 1841, beloved by audiences, coveted by dancers. Basically, the plot goes like this. A beautiful young peasant girl and a disguised nobleman fall in love. She falls in love with this guy who comes into town who is lying to her about who he is because really he's royalty, but puts on peasant's clothes to get this girl because she's pretty. Falls in love. Turns out he's actually a prince and is already betrothed to someone else, so he can't be with her anyway. She's very upset about that. Also, she has a weak heart. She's so weak. And and she's not allowed to dance. She can't dance. So when she finds out that he's been lying to her this entire time, she has a full-on mental breakdown. Goes crazy. Legitimately, it's it's a mad scene. She's like ripping her hair out and wandering around the stage, flat-footed in point shoes, because that's the only time we can walk flat-footed in a point shoe is when you're going crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then she loses it, and then she dies. She collapses to the ground. Angie dies in some combination of overexertion and a broken heart. And then her spirit goes to the land of the Willies. The Willies are like a sisterhood of ghosts in the woods, ghosts of unmarried women who died after being betrayed by men. They're all they're, what what is they're all scorned did, they're scorned women who jilted did, brides yes virgins who never made it they're to virgin, marriage no, they died before they got married yeah and they've been hurt by their their men and the queen of these jilted virgins is Myrta she's the, the jiltedest of them all Myrta is a force in this ballet a terrifying figure bitter and cruel a role conceived by the men who created the ballet almost two hundred years ago in one of the most heteronormative ballets in existence. And she is a man-hater. And so if you are a man and you enter the land of the willies during the nighttime, you are sentenced to dance to death. So Myrta dances all of them to death. After Giselle dies, the man who betrayed her, Albrecht, goes to her grave to mourn. He asks forgiveness of her ghost. And he follows that ghost to the land of the Willies. He meets Myrta, who sentences Albrecht to dance to death. But then Giselle steps in. She helps Albrecht by dancing with him until morning, when the Willies no longer have power. The strength of her love saves Albrecht. Giselle returns to her grave, and Albrecht lives. I always feel conflicted in the beauty of Giselle's passivity. At the start of the ballet, she's rambunctious and just loves to dance. In death, she's floating like a wisp, a ghost, almost a corpse. In some of the act two Pata does, she's so passive. But that liquidity that comes from floating along as Albrecht pulls her is stunning to watch. I want to dance it. My feelings about Giselle aside, the ballet presents a choice for its women. You can be a Giselle or a Myrta. One forgiving, one vengeful, both defined by their relationships to men. Myrta is powerful, but still she is one thing, a representation of failed heteronormativity. In the ballet, she's defined by the fact that she never married. Both roles feel like a box. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. 
Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you ride the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the winter of 2021, Adriana got the chance to tackle her unresolved feelings about the Padida, what the Padida means for gender and for what roles we all play. She got an artist residency and drove up to the Catskills in upstate New York with two dancers from American Ballet Theater. In a studio in the woods, away from the city, they began to work. They had two weeks. And the goal for that residency was to work on partnering with two dancers in point shoes. She wondered what a pas de deux would look like entirely on point. How would it even work? What is possible and what isn't? I thought I would just kind of play around and see what came. But she found herself creating an actual piece instead. A new dance. A pas de deux. This pas de deux, though, would be between two women. Two queer women. Something she'd never seen on a ballet stage before. I think a lot of queer stories are centered around pain and trauma. Pain and trauma are definitely things that queer people experience every day, all over the world. But it's been important to me to create queer stories that come from a place of joy and love and respect, specifically. This was one that I wanted to feel respectful, overwhelmingly respectful. And it's not one person manipulating the other. It's two people with equal agency working together to create something beautiful. And I think it's not necessarily romantic, although... It is, but it's explicitly queer in that there is love there and there is a tenderness. So I started to think about like what partnering is. What is it actually? What makes up a parada? She came up with these five pillars of partnering. First thing, lifts. All types of lifts will go in that category. Then there's counterbalance, like counterweight. So you're pulling off each other. So there's an amount of tension between the two dancers. 
There's promenades, things that where one person is on balance and rotating. Like one person is posed on point, historically the woman. She puts her hand on the man's arm and he moves her around in a circle so that she twirls slowly in place, like the tiny ballerina you see inside music boxes. And then there's turns, pirouettes. So like spinning. And then the last pillar is what their connection is and what story they're telling and how they tell it. Uh, I think you take the, you keep the hand. She wanted to work through these pillars in the studio one by one and find her own version. That's it. There you go. Promenade. Love it. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't want to just stick two dancers on point together and fit them inside the like traditional rubric or traditional blueprint of what we understand partnering to be. It needs to be our own. It needs to be authentic. And here, there we go. Yeah, and as wide a lunge as possible. Here, here we go. The piece became her answers to those five pillars. In this space, with these two dancers telling this story, a story of respectful queer affection, what's my answer to the idea of a traditional lift? What's my answer to these, like, to a partnered turn? So you're stirring, stay connected. Yeah. Want to do it one more time? But the other thing that I had to super dive into was point shoes and how that affects the physicality of partnerships. The person who has the flat shoe inherently and definitely has more agency than the person in the point shoe. When you're in a point shoe, you are not as grounded as a person in a flat shoe. You do not have as much strength. So, yeah, I'm in the room with the dancers. I'm trying to figure out, okay, can you both be on point partnering each other? No, you can't because you're not stable. You're on, a, you're on your tippy toes. You can't do it. You cannot lift. You physically, like physically cannot lift another human being when you are on a point shoe. You cannot do it. So what it ended up having to be is like, they would kind of pass the leading and following back and forth, which is what I do anyway in my choreography, but I would like try to have them on point like as close as possible before and after <laughs> to that passing of the leading and following. Oh, so let, I think, let Sierra be in charge of those arms coming down. So she's leading at that moment. Another thing they had to confront was trust. They had to learn a new kind of trust. Sierra, let her really carry you. She's got you. And reach, so you go into an attitude. When I was talking about my partnering classes, where it was this trust that, like, the guy's going to grab me and he has to figure it out. And you know what? If he drops me, he has to figure it out. But when it's a woman, like, there's, we had to really f deal with the fact that we didn't have that trust in each other. I do not trust that a woman's going to get me. I think I'm too heavy. I think she's going to drop me. I'm going to hurt her. Those are things that, like, we really have to, like, work through in order to do this work. Because I am trained to have trust in a certain type of person doing a certain type of thing to my body. And that person usually is a man or identifies as a man. She remembers on day one, she put the dancers in different positions and said, close your eyes, feel each other's weight move. What does it feel like when you take the other person's weight? Each day, Adriana and the dancers, Remy and Sierra, showed up, and together they discover what worked and problem-solved along the way, adding new sections to the piece. The beginning of the ballet was what they created last. I had them come out onto the stage and just stand there. I wanted it to kind of be like, yeah, you're going to see a gay potato now. You ready? And then they start moving. I kept thinking about this idea of carving space for each other. The two of them don't touch. They don't even make eye contact. Neither of them grabs the other. But they start to move around each other. Their arms flow and softly slice around the other's silhouette. Like they're feeling what it is to be close. Carving space around each other. Making space for each other. Then moving within that space. 
tracing each other's bodies, but not touching each other. There's a respect in that. And the first time they really like look at each other, I wanted there to be like an establishing moment of, I don't know, acknowledgement. I didn't want it to look like choreography that we've seen before with men and women. So what are different ways that they can be connected? Well, grab her foot and put it over your body. Like ways that they can be connected that's not just like hand and waist and back and forth. Watching it, I got shivers. And then I started to well up. Just seeing two women on stage being centered in a way that has nothing to do with how men see them felt new. I realized I hadn't seen it before. Not quite like this. Not while they're in point shoes. We don't see women being tender with each other in ballet. We don't. We don't get to see intimate relationships between two women, tender and affectionate and loving. They dance separately from each other, trying to figure out what it is they're each saying. One of them dips the other back, like that classic tango move, what you've seen a man do to a woman a hundred times. After she dips her, she immediately comes up onto point, on point together. But you can see how they're just constantly passing back and forth. Who's leading, who's following, who's on point, who's not, who's in charge. And then I wanted them to end in some sort of partnered image. There's this balancing piece, actually. It's in Midsummer Night's Dream. There's this beautiful pot of it beautiful part of the second act of the Diverted Small Potida. And it ends so slowly and suspended. And it kind of moves into this like beautiful lift that kind of leaves you just completely breathless. And I wanted that for them. They walk to the back and she does a fuete on point. And Remy kind of pulls back on her. They're holding each other's weight. I wanted it to be slow and to kind of go into slow, suspended, partnered moment where they're working together. The music fades until it's gone. They still move in the silence, slowing. And then it kind of fizzles into this like last moment of carving space together. When I watch the piece, it's like I feel ballet as woman in a new way, in a way that empowers, in a way I don't think I've ever seen before. And now there's like a whole new crop of young people who are just like out, chill, feeling great. And I love that. But ballet hasn't changed. So like that's why it's like we need to be making more diverse works. We need to be hiring. We need to be commissioning from more diverse people and telling more stories so that these people, these young people who are feeling great about themselves and feeling great about being queer, have a space to actually exist as themselves so they don't have to do the thing that we always had to do, which was turn that part of us off, you know? next time on The Turning. When you finally do move on, there's a, a recovery period. And I think the recovery period takes about 10 years on average to function in the quote-unquote real world. 
The Turning is a production of Rococo Punch and iHeart Podcasts. It's written and produced by Aylan Lance Lesser and me. Our story editor is Emily Foreman. Mixing and sound design by James Trout. Jessica Carissa is our assistant producer. Andrea Asuaje is our digital producer. Fact-checking by Andrea Lopez-Cruzado. You can learn about Adriana's continued work to showcase LGBTQ plus artists and stories in ballet at QueerTheBallet.com. Special thanks to Sierra Armstrong and Remy Young, who danced in Adriana's pas de deux, Overlook. Music for Overlook provided by composer Julia Kent. It can be found at music.juliakent.com. Our executive producers are John Parati and Jessica Alpert at Rococo Punch, and Katrina Norvell and Nikki Etor at iHeart Podcasts. For photos and more details on the series, follow us on Instagram at Rococo Punch. And you can reach out via email, theturning at rococopunch.com. I'm Erica Lance. Thanks for listening. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.